The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. From the scenic city in Chattanooga, Tennessee, welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast, now heard in over 100 countries around the world. Glad you are here. This is the show where we chat with the world's foremost thought leaders, executives, leadership experts, and influencers about the powerhouse business principles of love and care that define today's best leaders and company cultures. And we do it so that we can help transform your workplace, create business impact, generate profits, and make the world a better place. Love in Action in the context of today's episode is about communicating the message that every person listening right now matters. In his new book, You Matter, Matthew Immersion reveals his own most challenging moments from a, a panic attack that led to months of debilitating depression and anxiety to now inspiring and motivating people to live with purpose by allowing them to see how much they are valued and by showing how to let others know that they truly matter. So Matthew challenges us to overcome the barriers that keep us isolated and separate and help us to recognize the interconnectedness of everyone from your next door neighbor to your coworkers to people living all over the world. And this is especially crucial with the current pandemic that's affecting us all. Matthew Immersion is founder and CEO of Every Monday Matters, EMM, which is a not-for-profit organization committed to helping others understand how much and why they matter. Matthew's work has been featured in Fast Company, Oprah.com, The Today Show, Hallmark Channel, among others. His TED Talk, You Matter, has been heard by hundreds of thousands of people. Matthew joins us today to share a powerful and timely message. So glad you're here, Matthew. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Matthew, we always start with a gratitude moment. And, you know, these days they're kind of in short supply. It's so hard to be optimistic with this pandemic unraveling all around us. So I'm going to ask you to lift us up. I mean, what do you see as hopeful in the midst of so much uncertainty? I mean, how do you find hope? How do others find hope? Yeah, you know, uh, hope is an interesting thing. And, and, and I've, I've been asked about this before, like when all else fails, there's always hope, right? And I like that statement, but also it bothers me a little bit because I believe that that we start with hope, and you know, sure that hope can get chipped away at. Um, obviously, today with what's happening in our in our world, that hope can get chipped away at quite a bit, and we start to wonder like when when's this going to turn around? Like these numbers get worse and worse every day. But if you kind of look, you know, one level below those numbers, and you start to see the people and, and what people are doing, um, you know, these first responders, these, the, the medical world, even our neighbors, like I've noticed in my neighborhood, like I feel like I know my neighbors better now than I did two yeah. months ago. Yeah. And, and the stories that are coming around, you know, I, 
I just threw a birthday party, a 60th birthday party for one of my dear friends on Zoom, right? And, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's this creativity that's coming out of uh, uh, yeah. people. Um, I know some friends, their neighborhood, all the kids in the neighborhood drew pictures of animals and they put them in, in their front windows facing the street and they would take turns so the kids could go walk the street like they were going to the zoo. Yeah. You know, all these things are coming out. My hope is just that this, this human spirit that we're seeing continues, you know, even after the virus is gone or the floodwaters go away or the disaster is over, that we continue to show this best side of us. Yeah, and that it sticks with us, right? That it doesn't go That's away. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So before I go into the story, your story is fascinating. For listeners not familiar with what you do, tell us first, what, what's your reason for getting up in the morning? What's your why? <laughs> My why is very near and dear to me. And, and every Monday matters the way that we, you would talk about your why. You would say, I matter because... And, and I matter because every day I get to help people and organizations understand how much and why they matter. Mm. And, and that is why I get up every day. And that's why I love my life. It's, uh, it's filled with purpose and meaning and, and helping other people find theirs. Yeah. What's compelling about your story is that you had to go through the hardship. You had to go through the hard stuff to get to where you are now. So it's not that you just decided one day say, hey, I'm going to help people know that they matter. No, you went through some incredible, I mean, the accounts that you tell in the book, you know, very heartfelt. So I want you to share sort of uh, your story from, you know, maybe um, starting from the point that you got your MBA at UCLA. You know, you grew up, you're an LA boy, right? From that point, you broke into the music industry and then things started to happen to the point where, well, I'm just going to give a sneak peek. You were kind of living this glamorous Hollywood dream that a lot of people, you know, (laughs) kind of like dream about. They never attained that because it's so hard to break into the industry, as they say, right? So talk about that. Paint a picture. What was it like? Well, you know, the the picture... uh, you know, right after business school, I got my MBA. You know, not, not a lot of people go to a top 10 business school to get their MBA and then decide they want to manage bands afterwards. So that's how my Hollywood story started. <laughs> and I was managing my best friend's band. And, you know, then, and I loved it. It was, it was, it was probably the most fun I ever had in my entire life. You know, I was booking shows at, at, at the Whiskey and the Viper Room and the Dragonfly and and managing this band that was selling out every venue. And uh, it was a wild ride. And, and then, you know, meeting Robert Kardashian and, and be, you know, him offering me a job as a senior vice president of his music marketing company. And then, you know, then my life kind of went from not just working with unsigned bands or bands who were trying to become the next, you know, U2. Now I was working for on projects for bands like U2. Mm. And, and so, you know, I found myself in limousines with, Salman Rushdie and, you know, a bunch of models going to a U2 concert to be greeted by Paul McGinnis, you know, their, their manager and to meet the guys in the band and, and, you know, to hold Bono's, you know, son, Eli, who was two years old at the time. And then I'm in the middle of Times Square with Avril Lavigne and we shut down Times Square and I was in charge of the event. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm meeting with Usher's mother, who was his manager. And, um, you know, I'm from a small town. I'm from Modesto, California, a small farm town in Central California. 
And this is this these things didn't happen where I grew up, you know. And and to make it kind of more interesting, of course, you know, Kim and Chloe and Courtney Kardashian, yeah. you know, th- they all took turns running at the front office at work, and uh, you know, of course, that is nonstop entertainment and, uh, <laughs> and their friends. I think you know if you've ever watched the TV show Entourage on on HBO, yeah. like you know that was that was the life. It was you work during the day. You go to dinners after work. You go to a party after after party after after party, and next thing you know, what you define as success begins to shift. Mm, yeah, well, let's talk about that shift. So this whole lifestyle, the parties, the glamour, the drugs, the money, the women—it all came crashing down one morning. What happened? Yeah, so it was a it was a Monday morning, and I was getting ready to go to work, just like you know we all typically do, not during this current coronavirus time, but. Right. Uh, and um, I was tying my shoes, and next thing you know, I felt like my chest get really tight. My my skin started crawling and sweating, and my heart started racing. And I thought I was having a heart attack. I was 31 years old at the time, and um, so I got up, and I remember I ran out into my street uh, because I thought if I do have a heart attack, I was home alone. I needed somebody to help me, um, but the feeling didn't go away. So eventually, I got I got in my car, which is not a smart move. <laughs> and I drove myself to my doctor and uh, to learn that I wasn't having a heart attack, but I was having a very severe panic attack. Right. And I had never had panic attacks before. I never knew what that was. I never heard of anxiety or Xanax or any of these things. So it was all very foreign to me. And, and most people that you meet, if, they, if you talk about a panic attack and they said that, they, that they've had one, they'll tell you that that first one is so scary because you just don't know what it is. And it really does mimic a heart attack. And, you know, the good doctor told me to go home and to rest and, and I should feel better in a couple of days as my panic would settle. Uh, unfortunately, or I can now say fortunately for me, my panic attack turned into chronic anxiety disorder and depression. So right. I, I started suffering pretty badly. Yeah. Okay. So we're not at the shift yet because you're now in, in deep anxiety yeah, uh, stressed out of your mind and wondering what, what what do I do now? So, what happened next? Well, the first thing is, uh, thankfully, my mom and dad came down to to Los Angeles and moved in with me because I just needed help. You know, um, the 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 ship was taking on water fast. You know, and uh, I needed some help. And but then I was introduced to an amazing therapist, and I call her my expensive friend. Uh, her, her name is Denise. <laughs> And, uh, but honestly, I paid for her kid's college education and she saved my life. And that's, that's the deal that I think we made with each other. Right. You know, when I look back at that time with Denise, cause I spent years with her, the phases of the therapy, you know, the first phase was we, it's crisis management, right? Yeah. We've got to, we've got to settle your system. Um, a lot of internal work. What did I value? Who am I? You know? She kindly told me years later that when I walked in there, I was just an empty shell of a person. You know, lovely to hear from from somebody, right? <laughs> um, and then after then after we did a lot of the personal work, you know, then it was you know looking a step outside, like my my relationships, my boundaries, um, what relationships were life giving versus life taking. How are my relationships with my mom and dad, with my brother, and really kind of establishing that kind of next ring of my world. And then the final ring of it was the day she I came in and she said that she wanted to give my life a motto. And that motto was to live a life that wasn't about me. 
which she gave me a Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life. And I, I'm sorry. And if Rick is listening to this, I apologize. I've never read the book, but <laughs> the first sentence did everything for me. <laughs> what did that sentence say? It said, it's not about you. Yeah. And yeah. that sentence, those words, they changed my entire life. And for me to understand those words, because again, when you're a narcissist working in a narcissistic industry and you're having thoughts of taking your own life because you're so depressed and, and someone says it's not about you, you know, one plus one doesn't equal two all of a sudden, right? Like, then what could this be about? So to help me kind of embrace this, every Saturday I had to go do something out in the community that wasn't about me. You know, pick up litter, read to elderly, paint over graffiti, and this weekly dose of doing something not about me is really where I just completely redefined what mattered to me. Yeah. And some of your friends that you were still hanging out with, what were their reactions when you would, you know, walk in the streets and see a piece of trash on the ground and pick it up? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at, at first it was all a secret. And it's funny you say that because picking up literally became my jam. Like for some reason, I loved going out in, in the city on Saturday mornings when it was early. And I knew the dog walkers, the Meals on Wheels people. And, and I just, I found it really nice and pleasant out there in the city picking up people's litter. And then one day I was out there picking up their litter and, and some buddies called me to ask me to go to a pool party up in Hollywood Hills. I knew that story. I've been in that film before, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I said, hey guys, actually I'm not picking up litter right now. And so I'm cool. So you guys have a good time. And it was in that moment where I was like, oh crap, like I just outed my secret. Like no one knew I was doing these secret Saturday missions, you know, by myself. And that's when it started to get a little weird. And, and my friends were like, dude, what's, what's happening with you? Like, you seem different. You know, are you a Bible thumper? Uh, are you, uh, I, I think all, I mean, so many nicknames. Hey, Mr. Do Good. Uh, I just started <laughs> getting railed by people. But, but back to what I was saying earlier, I had to look at those comments and say, does this friendship serve me? Are those comments helping me or are they, are they meant to hurt me or, or am I causing people to have to look at themselves and ask them, what are they doing with their time? Are they doing anything not about them? Mm. You know, also when you start to change, it causes people around you to have to look in the mirror a little bit too. Right. And I think for some people, it's just easier to, to throw negative comments your way than actually to take a moment to self-reflect. Yeah. Okay. So the shift meant that you had to walk away from your past and maybe even sever relationships. Yeah, it did. Uh, you know, the truth is, I didn't know, though, how I was going to do that because, you know, when you spend nearly 10 years doing something and you do it really well, uh, uh, I didn't know where else to go because my career was in the music industry and, and, I, and I loved it. Uh, it just, I, there were parts of it I just didn't process well. And, and so, you know, it wasn't until the day I came up with the idea that I was going to write a book that really actually, I guess, was the first step towards a new path that I had no idea was coming. Yeah. At that point, had you quit the music industry and walked away from the lavish Hollywood lifestyle? No, I was still working yeah. in it at that point. And mm -hmm. I, was, I was writing the book in the evenings and on, and on weekends. Yeah. And, uh, and so I remember every Tuesday night and every... Saturday, I would dedicate to writing the book. Yeah. So at what point did you completely walk away from it all? 
Well, so I wrote, you know, Every Monday Matters was my mm -hmm. first book and 52 Ways to Make a Difference. And when that book came out, uh, about a month afterwards, I received an email from a woman in Palm Springs, California, who, who shared a story about how because of my book, uh, she saved someone from committing suicide. And if it weren't for my book, she would have never helped this person. And that email was really my aha, you know, God, lightning bolt, whatever moment you want to call it. That was this moment for me to say, you know what, I don't know what this is supposed to be, but I also didn't know that my book was going to save somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And I've never saved somebody's life before. This is far more profound than anything I've done in the music industry. And so I'm going to walk away and mm -hmm. I'm going to quit the business. And I remember saying 11 years ago, I'm going to make Every Monday Matters a household name, is what yeah. I said, with yeah. zero plan of how to do that. But I then became unemployable in the music industry. Right, right. Okay, so before we dive into your new book, You Matter, I, I want you to share the transi transition of how writing the book, Every Monday Matters, actually led to you starting your nonprofit. Yeah, so... After I received that email from that woman and I, and I quit the music industry, I was at home, I was unemployed, I was unemployable, and I was like, I need to make this thing a household name. I, I started a MySpace page. I don't know if you all remember MySpace back in the oh, yeah. day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I kind of started to build this online community of people who wanted to make a difference. And, and the idea was, hey, if we can get enough people to do a, a, enough little things, we can change the world. And so I guess it wasn't even a movement. I hate how much we abuse the word movement, but, uh, but it was something. And, and then a couple things happened. Number one, educators who reached out were looking for lesson plans based off the book. And so I created a, a school curriculum with a group of educators. And next thing you know, that started going nationwide. And then companies started asking me for uh, help with their corporate culture and employee engagement. So we started doing a bunch of uh, corporate work um, but then I was asked to go speak to a group of convicted felons and um, the judge was using my book as part of like a restorative justice program that, that these men and women were doing. And, and um, so I, I honored her wishes and I went to speak to this group and I was greeted by, you know, a group of men and women in, in full prison jumpsuits and ankle chains and waist chains and handcuffs. And, and it was an experience I'll never forget because I've never been in that situation before. And what I wanted them to know is that they still mattered. And one of them stood up at the end of it and said, you know, no one's ever told me that I matter before. And that's why I ended up where I am today. I need to start a bawling on my shoulder. And that, that was the moment everything changed for me. Mm. I love your story. So the new book was released in February. But, you know, what I noticed is that as I was doing my research on you, you actually have said that you didn't intend to write another book after Every Monday Matters, right? I mean, what, what made you change your mind? Well, it was funny because I got so deep into, into what Every Monday Matters, the organization was doing. You know, when, when you're serving over 2 million students with a school curriculum and you're helping companies and, and as an author and a speaker, you know, I'm getting the honor to speak you know, in prisons, um, to, and to, to veterans, to women's uh, shelters for women fleeing domestic violence, to schools, to companies, you find yourself kind of in this role, at least for me, where I was always just really present with wherever I was. 
And people were saying to me, Matt, you know, you have another book in you. You have another book in you. I'm like, I don't have another book in me. I'm just living this book out right now sort of thing. But then eventually my wife bothered me enough to say, you have a book in you. You got to write it. What's interesting about that is that I put together the proposal for the new book that, you know, just came out. You matter. Um, And as I was shopping that book, my agent was shopping that book. A woman who was around for my first Every Monday Matters book 11 years ago, she used to work um, for Thomas Nelson Publishing. She now was working at a new publisher, and she said, calls and says, listen, we can't do your personal book, but I want a new Every Monday Matters book. So, so last year, like 14 months ago or so, a new Every Monday Matters book came out, which was the 10-year ed- edition of the first one. And, and then now, a month ago, my personal book came out. So I ended up writing two books in one year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and ultimately, though, the new book, you know, You Matter, um, that is so the book that I think I was always meant to write and I always wanted to write because it, it gave me a chance to just get really personal and vulnerable and authentic with people, kind of like I do on stage. Mm. Uh, and and to kind of create that deeper connection with the reader that, hey, here's a list of different things you can do to make the world a better place and change your life. This yeah. this, this book had more heart and soul to it for me. Mm. Yes, I, I definitely saw that uh, coming through the pages. So you break down the book into three sections. Mm-hmm. I matter, you matter, and we matter. How do they inter- interconnect? It's an interesting point. So my, So my whole... The whole last 10 years, because all of our programming in Every Monday Matters is based off this idea of I matter, you matter, and we matter. And if I think about my therapy back in the day, again, the first part of it was you know uh, self-management, right? Stopping the water from coming on. That was very I matter-esque. I never thought about this, is I had to heal this internal part of me. Um, the you matter was looking at my relationships and how I impact those and how those impact me. And then the we matter part was the, it's not about you part. It's seeing yourself as part of something bigger than yourself. And so I always saw these things though, is that the I matter was the inner circle. The you matter was the next circle. The we matter was the outer circle. And actually once I finished writing this new book, I ended up having this moment saying, wait a second, I've been seeing it wrong the whole time. Um, they, they're not one in the middle, then an outer, then an outer. They're actually all the same size, but they're concentric or they, it'd be almost like a Venn diagram where they all overlap each other. And in any moment in time, you know, something I'm doing that's an I matter activity could also be very, very you matter esque. For example, if you're at home right now with your children and you're homeschooling them, you're, you're there to serve them and, and, and it's in a very you matter sort of way. But it's also a very I matter activity too, because that must be so fulfilling and, and self-serving too in, in, a, in a beautiful way for, for you too, like to have this moment with your child. So we can have these I matter and you matter and we matter moments completely intertwined with each other. But I think it's a great model for people to reference like, okay, what am I doing now? Where am I in my life? What am I lacking in maybe a little bit? Yeah. In section one, you know, the, of the I matter part, a, a quote really jumped out at me. So here it is. And so you write, I have never been more fulfilled and aligned than ever before in my life. I am unapologetically me. 
Don't you think it's time for you to finally be unapologetically you? So my first thought was like, well, yeah, that's easier said than done, right, man? I mean, but how do we do that? What, what's your advice for people? Oh, put down your social media for a second. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, you know, I love that you picked that uh, because I think it's one of the hardest things to do is just to be un- unapologetically and authentically ourselves. And, and it's, and there's a reason for it. You know, we, we, we come into this world and, and we didn't necessarily ask to be here, right? But one day we were born and, and now we have to spend our whole life trying to figure out why I'm here and what this thing is all about, you know, called life. And, and, and there are bumps and bruises and nicks and, and along the way. And, and as with all those little hurts and things, and um, we kind of start to bubble up a little bit, right? And, and living your, your true self can get a little scary because you've tried it before and you know someone someone bullied you or someone put you down or someone broke your heart and or someone fired you uh, but it can't keep us from living our true selves and and one of the things i always think about is well like what if we had a whole world where no one lived their true self uh, and mm-hmm. and it's just it's a world completely built on smoke and mirrors right cuz yeah. if we're not living our our honest Selves, we can't even build relationships that are that are honest. Yeah, and so just stop trying to be perfect, and and know that you are you know you're already perfect just the way you are, and all of your brokenness, and and all of your your imperfections. Um, just go be you, and of course, from a place of goodness, right? Um, don't don't say okay, well, I'm meant to be a jerk, so I'm just going to go be me. That's not what I'm talking about here, right? Um, but quit trying to be something that you're not. Quit, tr- you know, don't put filters on your life like you do on your posts. Just go be you. And, and, and we need you to be you. And a world filled with 8 billion people who are just individually themselves is a lot more beautiful than either a world of people are being fake or a world where everyone looks exactly like each other and acts exactly like each other and nothing's nuanced or different. Yeah. You know, if there is a silver lining with this whole pandemic is that people are being forced to be unapologetically them is what I'm seeing. They're coming out. The, the masks are being torn off because we're all sort of suffering together. And, and so I see more compassion in the world right now. I jump into these Zoom calls with, you know, 30 to 50 people. And mm-hmm. I'm amazed at the level of authenticity and transparency that is now going on. Well, what's interesting for that too is why, you know, why is that the case, you know, and, and, and why all of a sudden are we seeing this shift where people are being more authentically them you know, during a time like this and just more raw and their ego kind of goes aside, right? And I think it's because people are getting outside of their own heads. Yeah. You know, I have to get outside of me. I have to be there to serve, to help. And when you're in that place, you can be authentically you. You're not worried about being judged. You know, you're not worried about what people are going to think of you. Uh, it's just, it distracts us from this thing that usually keeps us from being authentic. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's dig in a little more on the ego side because you talk about how to become better people, it's important to set it aside, set your ego aside and focus on the collective rather than, in, than the individual. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, one of the great pains for me is that my books always end up in the self-help section. And <laughs> I believe that we spend way too much time already thinking about self. 
And, and, you know, ego is absolutely related to that. And, and, you know, this me, 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 you know, world, the, 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 you know, the greed, we saw a little bit of that actually in the beginning of this virus with the hoarding that people were doing. Um, but it, there's enough of focusing on ourselves and we need to step out of ourselves and start focusing on other people. And, and there's a trust in that. Like, when I see people operate from their ego, it's operating from a place of weakness, insecurity, a lack of trust. Um, they're so wrapped up in their own stuff that they can't look outside of themselves. And, and I just deeply believe that well, living in a place of service and understanding our interconnectedness to each other and, and how can we make, help each other be better and live better lives is such a more beautiful place to live than, than an egocentric you know, style of living. Yeah, yeah. And the opposite of that is really being selfless, which is one of the sections in your book. And, and Matthew, you have a story, and we love stories here in, in at Love in Action. You have the story about uh, a lady by the name of Phyllis Dickerson, and that ties into being selfless. You want to share? Oh, uh, Phyllis Dickerson. <laughs> I was flying out to uh, Little Rock to speak at the uh, Clinton School of Public Service. And I was flying from LA to to Dallas and then Dallas into Little Rock and the 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 puddle jumper from from Dallas to Little Rock was tiny. I think it was like an 8 seater or something and I'm 6'3" 240. So that that's not a good combination. You're a and, linebacker basically. Yeah, exactly. And I literally couldn't fit in my seat on the plane. And Phyllis, this beautiful African American woman from the way back goes, "Hey honey, I'll change seats with you." And so I'm like, "Really?" I'm like, no one offers up their better seat on an airplane. Usually, like, we're all hoping just no one sits next to us. We stare down. We don't make eye contact with people. And so we switched, we switched seats, and I could fit. And it was an amazing gesture on her part. And once we landed, we started talking. And to this day now, several years later, Phyllis Dickerson and I are amazing friends. And a little side note is that later, a couple years after that happened, I got a call from Phyllis asking if I was available the next day on a Saturday in LA. And I said, of course, are you coming to town? She says, no, uh, the first lady is coming to town, Michelle Obama. And they're short a driver in the motorcade. And would you be willing to drive one of the cars? <laughs> and, and so next thing you know, I find myself driving one of Michelle Obama's cars in the motorcade. I, I was in charge of the luggage uh, first, and I did took the luggage down to LAX. I came back to the hotel. I got part of her team, and it was amazing. Like this little act of kindness, you know that that Phyllis did has led to number one a, a, an amazing life experience of getting to meet the first lady, and and she the first lady personally thanked me. I got to give her my book, which was just beautiful, but also just to be there to serve and. And and most of all, a lifelong friendship that Phyllis Dickerson and I have today, off off this tiny tiny gesture on her part. And you know, I also mentioned in the book that about selflessness. That a friend of mine always says that you know even the most selfless act is still selfish because you're sure you're doing something for somebody, but you're doing it because it makes you feel good. And that comment always grated my nerves so much. Um, because it's, it's based on the intention, right? And her intention was to serve and to help me. Uh, and even if someone wants to believe that being selfless is actually selfish, then I would say 
let's go create the most selfish world we've ever seen today <laughs> and see what that looks like. Okay, so for people that are listening going, that's a nice story. It's a very warm and fuzzy story. I want you to tie this into why does being selfless actually matter, whether in the workplace, uh, in your leadership position, what would you say? Hmm. That's, a, I mean, that's such a big, big question. You know, mm -hmm. I think ultimately being selfless, uh, what I have just become so clear on um, after spending my entire life trying to figure out how do I win? How do I succeed? How do I reach my goals? How do I make this story that I've written for myself actually come true when it never does come true the way you write the story? You know, how does all that stuff that is so very ego driven and head driven, where did that get me? And, and you, your, the listeners now know where it got me, uh, you know, massive anxiety and depression. And, and since then, I have just become so clear on when I just show up to serve people, um, the whole world looks different, you know. And, you know, one of, one of the blessings of what I went through was that I didn't know that there was even this side or this spectrum of human emotions that existed that, you know, when someone would say, you know, I don't understand how someone could take their own life. You know, I, I get that. I used to say that. I used to say that all the time. Now I get it. You know, I get it. And it's possible. And, and it's very real. And, and those thoughts, just as the sky is blue, those thoughts are very real to, to that person. So what it's done for me is it's given me this immense level of compassion and empathy for people. Because I now know what despair and hopelessness and helplessness feels like. I know that it's possible to, to want to take your own life. And I just didn't think it really existed before. And so it's causing me to be like uber selfless and you're not to the point of not being good for myself, but I mean, literally every day I wake up and every moment I'm in and every situation I am thinking, how can I help this person in this moment feel seen and heard and loved and like they belong, like they, that they matter. And if we all go through our days helping whoever we are talking to know that they matter, whether that's in our actions or our words or our thoughts or our prayers, whatever we're doing, it's a pretty special way to live your life. You know, and there's, there's nothing better. There's, there's nothing money can buy you. It's nothing success, the corner office, the title, none of that can get you what this life of service and selflessness does. And, and and again, it's not why you do it. I just think it's where we're supposed to be. And, and I think it's how we are wired. And so when you're in it, there's this peace that sits inside of you like, oh, so this is how I'm supposed to spend my time here on earth. This feels really, really good. Yeah. You know, I can't help but add to that, that we are intrinsically wired to want to help, to give, um, to serve. And, it, and it's especially true during times of crisis like we're in now. We're seeing more. I mean, I, you know, during 9-11, when the, yep. the planes hit the towers, we saw it happen and how New York City came together. Yeah. How the whole, the whole country came together. Uh, and, and it gave everyone purpose, right? And meaning to their life to be there and to serve each other. 
I promise you, anyone who experienced that at a very frontline, you know, situation, you know, maybe for 9-11, for example, in New York, those times during all of that will be the most meaningful times of their life because they were, they stepped, they moved into it, right? And they, they experienced tragedy and loss, but they also experienced beautiful love and support and bonding and relationship and community that's that's the stuff that matters most in life yeah yeah okay let's bring this full circle when this whole nightmare is over with this this covid-19 crisis we're in how can we emerge as better people i think we emerge as better people by by remembering what we're doing right now and 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 don't let it change because the virus will go away right um, in New York, you know, the, the towers were rebuilt as one tower. You know, when the floods come, the waters eventually disperse. Uh, in California, we've had a lot of fires. The fires eventually go out. But we have a choice to make in that moment. Is Do we go back to the way we were doing things? Because I will tell you, I truly believe that before this coronavirus hit, we were already suffering from a very human virus. And, and we were not doing well. We were not treating each other well at all. We were judging everything. The the politics have gotten completely out of hand. Um, you know, we're more committed to being red or blue than we are just being a, a, a kind and nice person and compassionate person to each other. So I think we have a choice to make because we know eventually the virus will be gone. And, and it's just, what are we going to do then? And I would like to believe and I hope that we continue to remember these amazing stories that are happening right now, even as simple as, as if you're in the drive through line at Starbucks, I'm seeing people wave cars in front of them in line. Like I, You never see that, ever see that. I, you see an elderly person in the grocery store, and all of a sudden people are waving them up to the front. You never see that, but why not? And And, and, and I just hope that we just... We know we can do it because we're doing it right now. Let's just not forget yeah. and, and to keep it up. Yeah. Matthew, you're doing crucially important work, especially right now. So I want, to, I want our listeners to learn about your EMM, Every Monday Matters program, especially how you're helping school children all over. Can you uh, tell us about the, the K-12 education? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, so... You know, as with your, when your mission is to create a world where everyone knows how much and why they matter, you know, we figured we have to start with our youth. Uh, there are today, there are tomorrow. And, and our program, our, our education program is a social and emotional learning program. So it's really helping students, again, through those ideas of I matter, you matter, and we matter, and to connect to who they are um, emotionally and socially. Uh, we have a program that we currently reach 2 million students nationwide and also in six countries, I think, today. Um, we're in a, in a little bit of a unique situation uh, because now our, all the students are at home and, and, and our educators that we serve are also at home. And so we're about to launch next week actually a whole new platform on everymondaymatters.org with uh, resources for, for families and parents. We're also going to be doing live classes where we're going to be teaching our lesson plans on Zoom so kids can come to school with us. And we're doing a high school challenge every week. We're also doing new resources for educators. But we, we, uh, 
we believe that, you know, it all starts with our youth and, and we don't charge a penny for any of our education programs. It's completely free for our educators, for our families, for our students, because I wanted to take away any barriers that kept anybody from, from knowing how much and why they mattered. Mm. And I'm totally intrigued by the EMM employee engagement program, especially for leaders of organizations listening. What, what does that entail? Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I've always hated the term, you know, corporate social responsibility because I, I don't see it as a responsibility. I see it as a true honor and a privilege to get to serve the people who serve you. Right. And of course they get a paycheck for working, you know, at your company. But there's, there's more to it than that. We've already you know, broken that down, right? And these people are, are, are giving the majority of their waking hours as a human being to your organization and to you. And so serve them, not because it's your responsibility, but because it's, it's the only thing to do. And so we have a corporate program that helps to bring this to life inside of companies from of course, I do keynotes all over the country. We do team building experiences. We do corporate leadership trainings. Uh, we have a digital program that we distribute every single Monday to all employees uh, to really help to create um, experiences and an understanding that, again, the I matter, you matter, we matter model, it works beautifully inside of a corporate culture if we embrace that. And so we help companies embrace that. Mm. I could talk to you for hours, but uh, we have to bring it home and we do it here with two traditional questions. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, personally, what is really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? What's tugging at my heart right now is um, there's two programs that Every Monday Matters that I've always wanted to launch. And we were on the verge of launching both of those programs uh, until about six weeks ago yep. when everything changed. Uh, one of those is a program into the prison system uh, where we have people who are told that they don't matter anymore. And I don't believe that. And the other program is into assisted living communities where we have a senior population today in our country that doesn't feel like they matter anymore either. And if you talk to someone in prison or talk to an elderly person at an assisted living facility, they'll tell you the same thing, that, that I'm, I'm disconnected, I'm isolated, I'm alone, um, I'm just, they're just waiting for me to die here. And they say the same things, and it breaks my heart deeply. And I was thrilled that we were finally going to start to pilot some programs in both of those areas. Obviously, that's been postponed. So that's made me sad, honestly. Like, yeah, I wanted to bring this message in there and, and it's, ta it's taken years to get to where we were to have it all kind of be like, okay, you thought you were close, but you're going to have to wait a second longer. So that's, that's been a bit heavy on me. Um, and of course, you know, the, the deaths you're, that you're seeing and, and um, the courage of our, our medical healthcare system and these people, you know, the stories of nurses and doctors, like all this stuff has been pretty heavy on my heart lately. Um, because it's not easy when you want everyone to know how much they matter. When you see them go through hurt or pain or loss or any struggle, they, they don't line up very well, right? So for someone like me, yeah, I'm a bit of an empath. You can kind of take that on a little bit. 
but I'm also very much a silver lining guy and I see the beautiful and I see the hope and I see the positive and I know that one day we're going to be through this and we're going to be better for it. Fantastic. Matthew, you end this conversation your way with one final takeaway that we can all bring home with us to to make a a true difference in our lives. What would that be? I just hope that people really uh, walk away with this idea of of I matter, you matter, and we matter. To to know that, um, and also that it starts with all of us. It it really is every day we wake up, there's a choice that we can make. And and, and who do we want to be that day? And do we want to be somebody that that gives to this to this world and and makes it a, a better place, or do we want to take from it? And do we want to spread kindness and joy and love, or do we want to spread something different? And we are powerful people. Our words, our actions, they are powerful. So we have a choice to make. And and I hope that people just choose to bring their best to this world. And again, if I imagine eight billion people waking up every day with that as their intention, I think it's a very, very special planet, you know, and, and I don't think we've seen something like that before. And so one by one, if we all make this commitment to say, you know what, I do matter and, and they matter too. And together we all matter. Um, let's live our lives this way. If we all make that commitment, I think that we'll have a lot to smile about. The new book is called You Matter, Learning to Love Who You Really Are. If people want to connect with you, Matthew, where do they go and how do they learn about your programs? Sure. Well, I, they can email me. Uh, it's Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, at everymondaymatters.com. Uh, send me an email. Uh, obviously, our website, everymondaymatters.com or .org. They can learn more there. Um, you know, the new book is obviously out. Uh, it's available everywhere, and, and you know, please pick up a copy. Uh, if you're home, if you're home now, which most of us are, it's a nice time to sit and read a book that's inspiring. So I think you'll appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, please reach out because this is a we thing, and you know, Every Monday Matters is a nonprofit organization. I, I started it, but I don't own it. Right? It's just as much yours as it is mine. And and if we partner together, we work together, we truly can create a world where everyone knows how much they matter. I will have all of those resources, my uh, links to uh, Matthew's book and his websites on the show notes on my website. So make sure you visit there. Matthew, pleasure. You are uh, one of the few people I know who express vulnerability unlike any other person. And I truly appreciate uh, your candor and your authenticity. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So here's my final takeaway from that conversation. How does everybody matter? Well, we need to realize three things. For me, I need to realize first that I matter. But, you know, I have to come to terms with my own worth in all my brokenness and imperfection, even in the worst of times, that I truly matter. And for me to see that you matter, I have to expand my awareness to acknowledge and celebrate the value of those people that are around me. And for us to see that we matter, we need to explore how powerful we are together in impacting people's lives, our families, our communities, our colleagues and employees, and even total strangers walking on the street, that they matter and how they will do the same to us. I matter, you matter, we matter. 
Thank you, Matthew Immersion. And thank you, Love and Action listener, for joining the bandwagon. Please share this episode and don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Next week, I am joined by Kevin Hancock, CEO of Hancock Lumber Company and author of the new book, The Seventh Power. Until then, don't forget, love in action is what will truly set your leadership apart. The choice is yours. Hey, Love and Action Nation. If you're enjoying the format of the show and the topics we talk about, and you want to bring this conversation to your company event or conference, I would love to explore the possibilities. Whether it's speaking or moderating a live discussion or a Q&A panel, or even producing a series of podcasts before and after your event, let's talk. You can reach me by email personally at marcel at loveinaction.club. That's Marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L, at loveinaction.club.